Welcome to Whisker Diced. I am your host, the one, the only, the Conzie with the most, and I am joined by the Stark, the Raving, the Madwin himself. What's going on, Brian? Hey, hey, how's it going? Not too bad. And I've also got the wonderful and beautiful Suzanne. What's going on? Hey, not much. Happy to be here. Excellent. And this is episode 92 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Woo! Today is May 1st, 2022, and in today's episode, we're going to cover great games for groups of gamers. We're going to have an interview with surprisingly fun games, Sean himself. And in our hobby corner, we will catch up with any miniature painting projects we've been working on. But first, let's dive into the games we have been playing. And first game on the docket is a returning candidate from previous games we've been playing. But Brian, we have had so many games in the last 30 or so days. And that's the Batman miniature game from Night Models player count too it's a miniature game of course so typically low player counts uh, games typically take about two to three hours we've talked about it a lot on this show it's one of our favorite miniature games brian you seem to have been the dominant one uh in recent events uh we had adepticon where we talked about it already on our adepticon 22 show a little mini 0.5 cast we had there but we were also recently at the renegade open where I'm not going to mention how poorly I did, but you dominated the field pretty well. You want to let us in on what your secrets are on being so darn consistently good at League of uh, Shadows? Are they League of Shadows or League of Assassins now? I don't even know. League of Assassins. Yeah. BMG uh, League of Assassins. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I'm super dominant. I haven't like properly won either of the tournaments, but I did pretty well both times. Um, yeah, my record was a little better at Renegade. I had three wins and one loss. I think I lost to the guy who ended up second place. I don't remember now if he was first or second, but uh, either one. So, But yeah, I don't know why I've managed to come out pretty good. I think I have a really strong handle on my league list and league deck. I played my same Talia, pretty much the bat box, but instead of Cheshire, I bring Deadshot. It's been working pretty good for me. I have a pretty good feel for how the deck plays. It's kind of set up to not really care what the opponent necessarily does, as long as they're not interfering with me too much. And then I think most of my games at Renegade, I was having a pretty good job of murdering my opponent's models, which is kind of my main defense is offense, um, just taking out their models, keeping them from just extra guys in order to score their points. So worked out pretty good. I ran into a couple more lists that I still haven't played. Uh, I got to play against the Cobra Cult. I guess I don't think he had run them very much himself. So I think he said he only had like two or three games before that or something. So I came out pretty good on that. Um, But it was cool to see them since they work a little different. And the Riddler crew, he was actually the one who had beat me. They were pretty crazy. He was just like churning out points. And, like, rolling cards all over the place. It was pretty nuts. And, yeah, that crew was a little different, too, because he had, like, two free agents, because he had Harley and Hush, and then, uh, what? It, oh, he had Calendar Man in there. So there was almost more, like, other models than there was, like, true Riddler models. But I guess most of the henchmen were Riddler, so. 
that was the first time, I guess, I think you had played Riddler once against me. I don't remember if that was even, that might have still been second edition. Yeah, that was quite I, a while I think ago, it was. I don't think I've played any third edition must have Riddler yet. Yeah. So that was cool and different to see. And then, I guess my other two, well, we actually played the first game against each other. Um, that's just how it worked out. Like, he would have changed it, but he was using whatever the, I don't remember what it's called, BC, B, PC, I don't remember, whatever app to kind of set up the games and stuff. So it was too much of a hassle for him to change it after we pointed it out to him. So I don't know, maybe I set you off on the wrong foot because I had beat you in that first game and seemed like the rest of your games didn't go super well. I think you were fighting some fatigue. It was a really long day. We like drove up there really early and then we actually drove all the way back to the same day. So it was a very long day with four games. <laughs> but I think I ended up fourth. Yeah, fourth or third. I don't know. Fourth of, yeah, I think fourth it was fourth. Overall, I think. Which was also your Adepticon record. Yep. Yeah. So I guess really consistent there. I guess one of the bigger surprises was the there was a kind of a judge scored painting competition this time. Not too many people put their crews in. Maybe like half the people had their models up there. But you had won it last year. At or I don't know, was it last year or was it even a year before that with COVID? Uh, so I won uh, in 2020. One in uh, the main Renegade event. So this is the Renegade Open, which is kind of like a little mini Renegade version, like primers almost, mm -hmm. that they run. Um, so I won the best painted judged uh, portion of the event at this last year's main Renegade event. Uh, so because of that, I was not eligible for paint appearance or painting with the uh, same crew, I guess. Stefan did leave it up to me, and I wasn't aware of it, so otherwise I probably would have brought a different crew. But uh, uh, as it was, uh, it you know took at least one competitor out of the pool of, of appearance-judged uh, crews for you to compete against. Yeah, no offense to anybody else, but I'm pretty sure it took the biggest competitor out of the pool, which, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the actual... Like, I think they kind of had like a rubric scoring or something. I looked like the guy was running down, but that was pretty cool and surprising to uh, get the best painted myself. So that was cool to walk away with that award. And Stefan always has lots of prizes, so kind of did the round robin prizes. I grabbed the freeze bat box, so we got another crew to maybe hit the table locally here sometime. And I also grabbed the was organized crime, like all the just all the crew guys. I guess the Leaders all kind of come in their own separate box, so you can kind of pick your flavor there. But, I don't know, it was a good time, like always. Considering or organized crime is going to be in the new uh, Batman two-player box, that might be a great time to get a bunch of crew cronies for them. Yeah, that really clicked on me. Just, like, this week, I think I realized when, you know, they were showing some more of the models and stuff coming out, I'm like, oh, hey, those are organized crime, so I plan to grab that box, so. Like they'll fit right along in there to make a whole crew. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, my uh, my record at Renegade Open was pretty miserable. Uh, I had a great time, but uh, I don't I had two draws, two losses, so it was just not a not a uh, day of successful Batman play for me. And yeah, I was dragging rear pretty good. So a lot of fun games, though. I mean, I I had probably the highest scoring result in a game that I've ever had that for, I think I scored 40 points in a, in a single game, which is insane to think that 
uh, at that scoring, I didn't actually win, which just says something for the game. It was a draw, so 40 is a very hard mark to achieve, uh, I think, in BMG, and, and that was, I think, the first time I actually got 240, so... But it's, you know, you have to find a way to stop your opponent from scoring, too, so... I was a little surprised at the end to find out that he had 38 points. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, good day. Uh, I, I did have a lot of fun, and... Uh, and you and Matt played that following Monday, and sounds like that game went pretty sideways for Matt. Yeah, I think he was fighting some rust a little bit, and then we're coming off like eight plus games we've played in the last thirty days or so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, no. I did throw a couple new models in my list, but they kind of caught Matt off guard more than they were catching me off guard. So yeah, it was just kind of a bad run and. That just, yeah, didn't work out for Matt that time. So I'm sure he'll bounce back. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be able to get Suzanne to the table here soon and get her Birds of Prey back to the table and starting to get her edge to her game pe- gameplay back, knock that rust off. Oh, I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to do that uh, the next Monday you guys are out playing. So just need to get all the stars to align <laughs> to make it happen. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do, I hear you guys talking about this game and it makes me really, like, wanting to play it again because it is a lot of fun and it's very thematic and I just, I miss it. I didn't think I would be able to say that a year ago, but I do. I do miss playing it. Well, hopefully we can sneak in a game maybe on one of these Mondays when we're not at Noble Night too, so you can get a little more practice under your belt. That would require me to be be up later than I normally am lately. I'm getting old. Wow. <laughs> so so why don't you why don't you tell about tell us about this other fairly old but re-released game that's on our list for games we've been playing? Yes. So we have had the pleasure. We have all had the pleasure of playing the new version of Libertalia. It's called Libertalia: Winds of Galecrest. So. The original Libertalia came out about 10 years ago. Uh, it's been a big hit for a lot of people. It is kind of hard to find. The original game was themed on pirates. This one has been updated, revised, expanded in little different ways. Uh, it is now you are uh, captains of airships and you are going to islands that are floating in the sky. Uh, so it does keep some of the pirate theme with it, but it's this updated, more fantasy version of it. You are going out searching, you know, for adventure, treasure, and glory. And you are, you know, competing against the fellow players to bring back the best bounty and treasure from these islands. Uh, and also keeping your characters alive as much as you can. So very similar overall idea to the original game where all players have the same crew in their hands for each voyage and then you pick which crew you are going to play in secret for each day of the voyage. Uh, One of the twists with this expanded version of it is that you start out with six characters and the first voyage is only four days. So everyone has two characters that are left over and most likely they are going to be different. So by the time you go through your third voyage, 
you will have some similar but some very different characters. You can't always guess what ones people are playing and it's a lot harder if you have a large game uh, to remember what everyone has played. And the player count for this one also goes from either one, you can play it solo, which I don't know that anyone here has done yet, all the way up to six. So it's a great, you know, larger group game too that plays fairly quickly since a lot of it, um, the actions are quick. Playtime is 45 to 60 minutes. So unlike some other larger player count games, it is not going to take your whole day to play. Um, I should mention that this is produced this by Stonemaier Games also. So, you know, it's a, it's a well, it's a very well done game. Going to go through a couple of more of the notable changes that those familiar with Libertalia, the original one, would see. Is instead of having a deck of 30 character cards, they've expanded it to 40. So just adding those extra 10, you're like, oh, it's not such a big deal. But actually it is. It's really kind of cool, some of the new abilities that are on there. Your tokens or the loot are now double-sided, so you do not hide them. So everyone can see what you have. There is really nothing hidden except which characters are, which of the crew members are in your hand. We talked about leftover characters are carried over from each voyage, so everyone's got a slightly different hand. And then to break the ties, so if two people or more play the same crew member, how to determine which one is, you know, placed higher than the other on the ship on the game board. Now there is a reputation track that rotates that can break those ties and also change uh, how much loot you are getting at the beginning of each voyage too. Now the discard pile is called the graveyard. So when you kill off, when uh, someone kills off a member of your crew, you get to bury them in the graveyard. Fun thing with some of the cards though, and some of the loot tokens is that you can interact with these uh, graveyard individuals, you can bring people back from the dead. Not giving too much away, but there is a necromancer character member that you can play <laughs> to do that with. And also with your loot tiles, uh, in the previous Libertalia, everything's got like the same ability on it. So now on the board where the loot is, so if you have a saber, there is the the nice sunny side, calm, I think it's the calm waters, or you can flip it over to add some variety to a more combative side where there's a little bit, you can increase the player interaction, it can increase the stabby, backstabbiness with each other, and then you can mix them up to have some a little nicer and some a little more cutthroat. Uh, so there's, that adds a little bit extra replayability and changes it up uh, depending on the group that you're playing with. Like if you're playing with kids or people that maybe don't you know don't like to have someone directly attack them you know you can play it a little nicer and if you want to be more cutthroat definitely flip those cards over so standard most gold at the end of the game wins so you're just kind of trying to collect that and keep that so that is the basics of Libertalia and what has changed on here. And I know Ben's played it at least once and Brian's also played it at least once. And I think you both may have played the original game. What are your thoughts on 
this updated version that Stonemaier put out. Yeah, I have played each version one time, I think, now. I definitely like the gameplay of the new version better. Like, I think everything they added was really kind of an improvement and expansion on the original. The only negative I think I really saw of it was I preferred the old artwork better. Like, I guess that's not really a negative, but just a preference. Like, the more straight pirate-themed of the old one, I kind of like that better, where the new one's kind of a little more fanciful, and it seems a little cutesy to me or something, or kind of like kids um, cartoon kind of-esque, I guess. Maybe it's a little less gruesome or something compared to, like, straight pirates. But uh, that's really the only bad thing I can say about it. But otherwise, um, kind of the expansion on the game, I really enjoyed in this new version. And I think I'd be really interested to play, like, the Rough Water cards or something, get a little more interaction in there. Because I think just all the interaction between the players is kind of the the most excitement in the game for me kind of thing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with those yeah. comments. Yeah, no, I uh, I very much think this game mechanically is a much better game than its predecessor. It's it's corrected a couple of the probably the larger complaints with the the predecessor, particularly with the um, I don't remember what the track was, the reputation track or whatever it was, where you're controlling where you where you break you have your tie breaks being able to manipulate that versus having it just printed statically on a card uh that said thematically i definitely like the original libertalia i felt very removed a bit when i played it the first time and i i want to play this uh, new version of libertalia again but i i did feel like i just didn't feel as immersed into the actual game or the narrative that was kind of going on or the silly you know the, the silliness that the captain was being you know maybe murdered by the you know whatever the character card and opponent had played or whatnot and i definitely want to play this game in the future uh on the rough water side or a mix of rough and, and calm because i think the calm was just it it did it was not very interactive at all. It didn't really. I didn't feel like I had a, a as good of a original Libertalia experience with it from that point of view because original Libertalia is much more cutthroaty and backstabby. But yeah, if you wanted to play with your kids or something like that, this the the calm waters would be nice and calm for them, so you'd have less less screaming at the table, I guess. Let less hurt feelings on the calm water side, I will definitely say, because they're, I think in both, I've played it this version twice, I think in both games there's maybe been, besides the saber token, one, maybe two cards that met, that you could mess with the other players and what they were doing, so... No, it was, yeah, there was a lot less player interaction, and as Brian mentioned, that the theme is is very cutesy, it's very cuddly, um, and it also doesn't really come through because so much of the loot was piratey, but the airships, you know, it's just, yeah, a straight pirate theme probably would have felt better, even if they are redoing what was already a pirate theme. So. We, we talked a little bit about it thematically at the end of the game when we played it the first time, and I thought this game would have, instead of going the direction that they did with the kind of artsy-fartsy animals and, and 
airships if they would have, which doesn't really come across at all, if they would have taken it maybe to a sci-fi theme uh, where it's like spaceships and maybe each day is instead you're exploring a new planet or something like that, I think that thematically could have done a whole lot with it. I think they were trying to re-theme it slightly, make it a little more friendly, not offensive to anyone type theme to it with the theme and the art because there is some potential in the old game i think there's some some innuendo and things like that that maybe happen and some of the some of the art is uh maybe uh a little cliche in the maybe not the most uh socially acceptable way so the way they kind of shifted the art and the theme i think was a way for them to kind of avoid some of those bits from the original game but yeah, I think for me the original game that immersion that immersion just was so much better. This just it felt like a, a theme that was kind of slopped on top of the original game. But it's still a fun game. Libertalia is great. So if you you know if you haven't had a chance to play the original Libertalia, this is a great way to add it to your collection or get a chance to play it. So yeah, and I, this is this is a great game for game night. You have a bunch of people, and if you want to get through two games, and you want to get through a game as a bigger group, so that definitely works really well for this. Yeah, that kind of plays to our theme for today's episode. Larger right. games for larger groups. Yes, so, yeah, but that's, yeah, definitely, I will play this again. If someone brings this out, I will play it again. I'm just not going to run out and buy it. Yeah, I think there's enough copies floating around in our game group. We don't need to buy it. So, for all of the games we talked about, go to whiskodice.com for links and pictures and images of those games and gameplay. So uh, we'll make sure to include that in our show notes for that release with this episode. But with that, let's go ahead and dive into our hobby corner. And both Brian and I have been working on some night models hobby work, it looks like. So I'll go ahead and start. Uh, I actually finally have a painting hobby desk, which I haven't had in months. And so it's super awesome to be able to sit down and do some some painting. I still need to to maybe work with the lighting a little bit, but I actually did get uh, the Penguin Lieutenant for my Penguin crew actually painted uh, and ready for the table. And then part of my preparation for Renegade Open was I wanted to have um, some suspect markers that were not the ones that came with the Back to Gotham box because... I only was bringing the one set, and if I ended up with an opponent that also only brought the one set, we'd be in real trouble. So I made sure I brought... Night Models has a, a pack of suspect markers that are unique to the Joker crew. Um, and so I picked those up and painted up uh, everything that I needed. I don't have all of the tokens that came in that completed, but I do have the vast majority of them and all of the suspect markers and the the uh, stinky fish or the poison fish uh, tokens uh, painted up so that I can use them at the table and they look really cool. And I was really happy to see them on the table and it was like, I don't think anybody else had them. And I actually got asked a couple of times where I got them from, which was pretty cool as well. So looking forward to getting some more stuff painted uh, here soon. I've got uh, another model for the penguin crew. That's about half finished and, uh, Hopefully we can, you know, as time goes on, I'll be able to work on getting some more painting done. So that's that's what I've been working on. Brian, what do you what do you got on the painting table? What have you finished up? So yeah, I was kind of coming off uh, Adepticon and pretty inspired for some more Batman. So I had 
previously kind of put down a race I had started before Adepticon, but then put it aside. I just kind of switched to something else for a bit where my interest was. But after Adepticon, I came back to it. I busted race out pretty quick. And then uh, Ubu, I wanted to join in uh, crew with race. So I had moved on to him. And then we had to submit our list for uh, Renegade. So I went ahead and committed to uh, race Nubu being in my second list. Although since I had never played it before, I didn't really plan to play him. But I still kind of wanted to finish him up before Renegade. And that was kind of some inspiration. I think it was like the day before I was kind of putting some final touches to kind of clean up Ubu. I'm still not quite 100% done with him. But I mean, he's like whatever 95 percent there as far as i'm concerned but you know he's plenty finished for the tabletop so it's really cool to get those both done and then i actually brought him out on the monday game night at noble night against matt and then since then uh still being on the batman kick trying to move on and kind of change up the models a bit why well, i previously assembled all the bane dark knight rises kind of crew and then i was planning to kind of play them with the prisoners as well so i had all those assembled but I was starting to kind of green stuff the slots in their bases so I can get them primed and maybe they'll be painted and hit the table. I was probably going to play them as league just to, so I'm familiar with the deck, but it's new models kind of thing just to try something different. And maybe they'll lead me into the Bane cards and then that would be an easy transition to the actual like Bane himself crew. So kind of still running on the Batman mojo for myself and the hobby. <laughs> Well, that's pretty awesome. Well, uh, you can go to again whiskodice.com for pics of all of our projects. We'll have them up on a up on the blog post for this episode release. But with that, that wraps up all of the hobby projects we've been working on recently. Let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, Conzie and Suzanne will be joined by Sean from Surprisingly Fun Games to talk about the games that are in works, and including his current Kickstarter project, Tin Spin, which I recommend you check out. Uh, as soon as you can, because that's a that game's a great little fun filler game if you if you are looking for that kind of thing to add to your collection. All right, and we are back, and we've been joined by Sean from Surprisingly Fun Games. How's it going, Sean? Hello, it's doing great, doing well. How are you, folks? Uh, we're doing excellent. So. What can you tell us about uh, Surprisingly Fun Games, the, the company that you're uh, a part of, and who, who is Surprisingly Fun Games anyways? Who is Surprisingly Fun Games? Um, so Surprisingly Fun Games is myself and some uh, artists who I contract with, but uh, primarily I wanted to create more family-friendly and more what I call gateway games, right? So games that you can play with... Uh, maybe some of your non-board game friends that then may become like your board game friends. And so I really try to create either fun, fast games or games that are approachable, but that have deeper strategies uh, that are sort of hidden so they won't overwhelm new folks. But but seasoned board game people will be like, oh, oh, when I play again, I'm going to do this thing different or I'm going to try this more. And so, yeah, I think that that's... That's my MO. That's my modus operandi. And, uh... All right. So in what games are you currently working on that fit into these categories? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, 
Well, Tin Spin is a uh, fast game that involves dice spinning. I believe it's the only board game to involve spinning dice as a mechanic. Uh, but that's actually up on Kickstarter right now. And then the other one is called Mischief at the Museum. And that is a, uh, that's definitely in that gateway game category because you can, you can play with pretty much anyway. I've played with, you know, kids as young as six or seven and, and folks as old as 80 and uh, hard game, hardcore board game people who, you know, play Agricola every week and, and also people who, you know, Monopoly is what they think of as a board game. So uh, that is a, uh, that's a larger game, Mr. the Museum, but it's, it's good. Yeah, we've had a chance to play both of them, and uh, in particular, Tinspin, thank you so much for sending us a copy. We really appreciated it. We personally found it a, a nice, light game that we can take travel with, take it over to the, you know, whatever the game night is at the pub or the bar, or we can get together with uh, our daughter. Like, uh, our first game was with her daughter, actually. We got to play it, and it was a lot of fun. We're all laughing, and the dice are flying everywhere as we're trying to spin them, and Dexterity on trying to spin a D4 is uh, an interesting challenge there, but uh, or that rocket ship dice that's included in that. Oh, that thing is miserable to try to get the spin, but maybe there's some secret trick to that. Definitely a secret trick to the rocket die. If you get that spinning on its nose, that's the best way to get that spinning. The but the D4, yeah. The, I've only met three people who can D, who can spin the D4 reliably, and I am not one of them. The, the the way the game is balanced, there's sort of you can roll or spin. And so if you get a one, two, or three, you get a golden cube, which is the goal. But like basically, yeah, like based on the die, you're you're better off either rolling it or spinning it somewhere in the middle. But yeah, anyway. It is great to bring places because it all fits in like a tin, right? It fits in, you yep. know, sort of a mint tin sized form factor. Just put it in your pot your jeans pocket as you're going places. Yeah. And like we were playing with our daughter who's in her twenties, and you can just sit at you know the kitchen table or the basement bar and just pull it out and doesn't take up any space so what were you kind of shooting for when you were creating this game of tin spin uh great question so i definitely i definitely wanted something small that you could bring with you uh, i always say that the best games are the ones you have with you to play uh, and with tin spin tin spin i actually made the original version of it many many years ago like 20 years ago actually and I was looking for interesting ways to use dice. And so, you know, spinning dice, I, I, I like spinning things, coins, dice, whatever. And so I found that the different dice had different properties. But I sort of just had it as its own little thing, and I just sort of played it with friends and family over the years. Uh, but then, when you know, I've been working on Mischief at the Museum for, for some years as well. And during the pandemic, I was having some issues. Uh, my first illustrator sort of was a little overwhelmed and and uh, had to bow out so then i was getting a second illustrator and then his family expanded in a good way but that also took time away so i was like gosh you know i'm, I'm hitting these you know these these sort of art speed bumps with mischief for the museum you know what if i dusted off yeah what if i brought back tinsman i could probably get that out quick and and honestly learn a lot right because mischief for the museum it's a bigger game more to produce it's going to be a bigger kickstarter and so i figured I could learn a lot by doing a smaller Kickstarter. And, and Tinspin seemed to fit the bill. So I test, started testing that actively in October of 2021 and then just launched it, you know, a few, like a week or so ago at the time. But um, so yeah, learning experience, fast, fun game, a lot of, lot of good things. 
Yeah, so that was a quick turnaround for launching it, though it had been technically in production for, it sounds like, 20-plus years, <laughs> yeah. where yeah. it was the at-home game that, you know, it's this nice family thing that secret for your family and friends that now you're sharing with the world exactly. and getting out to Kickstarter. So um, yeah. that's pretty cool. I was say, and, and you've got um, some great videos related to how to play it also that if you don't want to read the rules, you want to just show everyone, they can watch it in a minute and, and do that. So was that, you know, part of the whole making it easy and accessible to people, it seems like a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the tin spin and a min video. And then also, um, some people would be like, oh, they're excited to try the, you know, the game. It's got these golden cubes. It's got these dice. It's colorful. And then they're like, oh, I need to spin dice. Oh, I don't know how to spin dice. I can't play. And it's like, no, actually, you can. Because, you know, especially some of the dice, they're very easy to spin. And so I have a, you know, how to spin dice tutorial video. Uh, there's even, like, a little, you know, a little rectangle of the rules is devoted to, like, how to spin dice. Because... It really like it is it's it's fun and it's a it's a physical skill that you can get better at the more you play. And so yeah, being able to like get people into the game. The last time I played it was actually at an engagement party. And so it was like dessert and like they had, you know, people were done eating dessert, you know. So the the party was pretty much over. But I busted it out uh, at a table and uh, we played on the dessert plates as the spinning surface because the tables had tablecloths. So we each had our own dessert plate. But I taught them this play in like, you know, in like less than a minute. And, and yeah, so you, you pretty much play it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. And I've been watching that how to spin video because I am one of the people that does not know how to spin. All right. Coensley, on the other hand, Ben, you are um, expert spinner compared to me. <laughs> I, I would say the, some of the best moments with this game are probably when the spins go horrifically wrong. Maybe not too horrifically, but you know the dice goes flopping or spins spins in a way that catches somebody off guard and then f goes flying wherever, and you have to go f as long as you don't have to spend too long finding it. But that was where we, we were getting the best laughs because yeah, I would get a good spin going, and then you know uh, on a couple of dice or whatever, and then all of a sudden I'd get one that go flying crazy, and everybody'd be <laughs> laughing at me and making fun of me and. It was just all a good laugh. It was a good time. So what what inspired you to create the game, Tim Spin? What It seems different besides just spinning dice. Was that just spinning dice, or was there more to it? Tin Spin was, or, you know, what became Tin Spin, started as, as a school project, actually, for a class. And uh, the, the task was to make a dice game. And so... Yeah, I just again, I just wanted, I wanted, I wanted a different way to use dice. Like, obviously, rolling dice is always a great random number generator, and it has that in it too, right? Of course. But then I was like, well, what else could you do with it? And sort of, it just, it just stemmed from that, right? It's just, a, it's just a fun thing. Uh, and yes, like you can, you can learn and get better at it. And there's not that many. There's some, you know, sort of flicking style games that you can get better at, you know, you know, physically, uh, you know, hone your skills at. There's not about it. There's not a lot. And I was really excited by that aspect because uh, you're right. Like people definitely start off like the dice go flying everywhere. They run to the cubes. Uh, it's just chaotic fun. But then, yeah, like you can get to the point where and that's, that's that's the other thing, right? You can just sort of practice spinning the dice whenever you want. right? You don't need to 
don't need to be playing a game to practice spinning dice. Yeah, it's like one of the. It's it's like a. It's it. It's just that fidgety thing that you know. Yeah, like people like to fidget with things, right? Spinning dice yeah. definitely definitely solves that itch too. Yeah, and the the amount of time I spent in the dungeon master's chair trying to corral my players into not spinning or stacking or doing something disruptive with their dice, and now now you gave them a game to play. <laughs> you play. You play right before the session, before everyone's arrived. It's a quick game. You get it all out of their system, and then they're ready to, you know, ready to focus and, and role play. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. So, so, Sean, what got you into game design? I, obviously, I, I, I wish my school gave me <laughs> a project to create a, uh, a game when I was uh, in in school. But what really got you into game design? What what made you decide to to take that to the next level? Well, so my background is, is is primarily video game design, right? So, you know, and I, I, I you know, my, my mother is a sort of a fine artist and my father is a computer scientist. So I like to say I was genetically made to make video games. So I, I started just, you know, programming little simple games, you know, even in, you know, middle school and high school. So then I went and I got a, uh, I got a degree in computer science and a minor in film. And I was like, how can I turn this into, into video games? And so I went to a, a master's program that, that specialized in, in combining the sort of the artists and the engineers. And then a year after that, I got a job at a video game company that we started up and I've been there 18 years. And so uh, I've just always, always loved, I've always loved making experiences that other folks will have fun doing and games uh, certainly fit that bill. And then in my free time, I play mostly board games, honestly. I play way more board games than I do video games. And so wanting to create board games was just sort of a natural extension of that. So what games that you have or see inspire you to make games or build upon uh, the games with what you're creating now? Gosh, I remember, I remember when I first saw Azul, uh, the tile... tile uh, game mosaic game i uh i was at someone's birthday party and they like they didn't get it at that birthday party but they had it on a shelf and i was like wow look at that beautiful game and like so tactile right all those pieces and just that's another game with you know it's very approachable people love love the art of the box they love the pieces uh but then there's deep strategies there right and again it's like i i think i think azula is a great gateway game a lot of the people that i've played board games with are sort of, you know, lighter, you know, they're not quite so so hardcore. And so finding games that they will enjoy as much as I do uh, is important to me. And so, yeah, games like that, I, I definitely seek out and, and try to make. Very nice. So uh, what other games, you mentioned this game, the Tin Spin is out on Kickstarter now. Yes, you can go to tinspingame.com and that'll redirect you right to it, tinspingame.com. <laughs> Tinspingame.com. We'll make sure we put that up in uh, the blog too when this when this uh, episode releases, so people can get right over there, get their orders in. And then you mentioned Mischief at the Museum, which yeah. uh, Ben and I were very fortunate to play test at Gen Con last year, which was a ton of fun. It was surprisingly fun, also. <laughs> so your your company name fits your games for me so far. Is there anything else you have upcoming or any planned timeline right now? Loose timeline with Mischief at the Museum to come out? 
Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned you, you played it at Gen Con. Uh, I'm taking it to Unpub uh, this month. Uh, Origins the month after. Tecco, which is a con in Pittsburgh after that. So definitely still working on it. The plan there is take it to as many con conventions as possible. Keep building that mailing list. SurprisinglyFunGames.com, Mischief at the Museum, Nikon. They all go. You can all, you can all mailing list any way you want. Uh, but yeah, the plan is to take all the lessons that I've learned from Tinspin's Kickstarter and, and hopefully roll that into Mischief at the Museum next year. That, I mean, that is the goal. And then as far as after that, <laughs> I, I do have an idea, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm like resisting the urge to work on that because I know I need to finish what I'm already working on. But definitely, you know, definitely hope to be doing this for, for the foreseeable future. Very exciting to me. That's really exciting and pretty aggressive to get a Kickstarter out this year and then hopefully another one next year even. So that's well, awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, the Tinspin is a fairly simple game to produce. You know, I've got, I've got the printer lined up. I've got the quotes. We've got, you know, we're ready to go. Any, any modifications that come out of the, because there are, there are ways with the stretch goals for the community to sort of help shape the design of some of the modes of, of Tinspin. Um, but barring that, it's, it's pretty much ready to go. Um, so yeah, that is that is my plan. So can we go back to Tinspin real quick and the Kickstarter? So the the um, stretch goals, I saw those briefly on the Kickstarter website. Yeah, I didn't absorb them very well. So what are the stretch goals? There's some mystery die and potentially. <laughs> I know we're not you know up to that level yet, but no, no. <laughs> what are the cool things that might be might hopefully be coming out with it? Yeah, so. So the so the the base game, I have it in my hands. But yeah, the base game is you know you you've got a tin, uh, you've got these sort of six player die, and then the swap die, which tells you how to move them, and then you've got the gold. Right, the goal is to get these golden cubes. Uh, so you get one of their gold. It adds like different play styles and different modes. And then the next stretch goal is the pouch of protection. Definitely a D and D reference there. It protects you from these the keys of scratching. But basically, anytime I I put tin spin in the same pocket as a hard metal object, I want to have it in this. You know, it's just sort of a velvety type bag, um, but you know, get a nice silkscreen logo of Tinspin on there, and so that that's a good. And everyone, everyone will get these stretch goals. And then, yeah, the biggest stretch, and it is a stretch because it is more uh, cost in designing it and also producing the the physical mold, the injection mold. Uh, there's a large upfront cost for that sort of thing, but that would be the community design dice, right? So, you know, I, I've made these dice that I know work well. But I would love to, you know, through live streams, through surveys with the backers, let's create another dice, right? Like, I, I, I'm thinking a five-sided or a seven-sided die to sort of get it in that, you know, versatile, you know, could, could be good spinner, could be, could be good roller. But, like, also, like, you know, different shapes, different properties. Again, the, the, the physical nature of this game, like, when you spin the rocket die on its point, it spins for a while. And then when it starts to decay, when it starts to fall over... It just starts going everywhere, which can easily knock over someone else's die, which is all totally part of the fun, right? And so maybe there's some dice shape, right? So I've got like, I've got like acrylic resins and, uh, and you know, silicon stuff. So we can like model a die and like make a couple to test it out. So I'm very excited about that. But it is, a, it is that's, you know, that's a larger stretch goal. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. So you got you to go a little bit of time yet. So hopefully we can get up yeah. there because oh, yeah. that would be really neat to see what the community comes up with yeah. for that goal. Uh, yeah, you know, and if they don't, involved. you know, then uh, hey, you know, there's always expansions. Own. Always expansions. Don't worry. <laughs> there you go. Yep. 
There you go. I will say, like this, this game is is such a fun game, and it's not a huge investment to back. So there's no excuse not to back this project. And it's uh, Sean, you've you've we we hope you nothing but the best for surprisingly fun games in this project. It's it's one that we personally have taken the time to back, and uh, we will make make sure that we are spreading the fun of Tin Spin to our friends down the road here uh, in the in the future when we get our our extra copies. I love there's a an option in the the backing you can actually back to just get extra copies so you can yeah. spread the fun and share. <laughs> That's gifted. It's and it's a great gifting game as well. Well, I, I really appreciate you you folks talking to me when, you know, you're a joy to talk to at Gen Con, you're a joy to talk to here, and uh, yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, keep us in touch whenever anything else comes out. We'd love to, love to hear about it and, and let everyone else know that, uh, that listens to the show. Sounds good. All right, and with that, we'll go ahead and take a break. Thanks so much for coming on. Is there any? I should say right before we go break, uh, is there anything else, Sean, that we we need to know or plug uh, about uh, Tin Spin or any any of the other things that you have going on? I mean, absolutely. I mean, you you can go to surprisinglyfungames.com and get on the mailing list. That's that's where you'll find about all the conventions. Uh, Mischief at the Museum. I have both ported to Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia. If you want to play that, I can open up a room. We can play together. Uh, it's not on there full time yet because I'm still, you know, tweaking some things. But yeah, just sign up on the mailing list. That's probably the main takeaway. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for taking the time today. We really appreciate it. Uh, when we get back uh, from break, uh, we'll dive into some of those great six-player games that uh, everybody needs to play that aren't necessarily just party games and uh, and other types of games that that just fit that when you have a larger game group. And we're back. All right. We wanted to sit down and talk to you about some games that work for several players, just like Tin Spin, which I think plays up to six. We wanted to talk about those types of games today to kind of help uh, feed that fury of when you have a larger game group to the table. Of course, uh, there are a billion and one social deduction or party games that we could have included in this list easily like uh games such as secret hitler werewolf two rooms in a boom but th those are the easy options we wanted to dig a little bit deeper and let's say find a game that has a little more substance to them another thing we wanted to try to avoid if possible is the games that have huge long play times uh, games like Twilight Imperium or Eclipse. Both of those games are brilliant games. I love them, and I love getting together for a big game of those. But the kind of game planning you need to plan around getting a big game like that doesn't mean you're. it's never going to fit into, say, a two- or three-hour board game night or five-hour board game night. So I guess so a couple of my games are probably longer games uh, with the player count so <laughs> that he picked. But uh, yeah, you kind of get the idea is what we're trying to avoid is try to try to dive into some other games besides those so with that let's we're gonna head, go into quick list format uh so let's start with game number three all right game number three mine is a little bit 
can be a little bit long on the longer side the more players that you have but it seem it feels like it goes quickly so i really like scythe and that can play a couple more than the base game when you add the invaders from afar expansion so for me that scythe uh, by stonemeyer games is a great fun strategy interacting with other players larger group game yeah, when it's a resource management slash territory control slash objectives you're trying to achieve, it's it's it is a really good game, and uh, it's been forever since we actually have been able to get it to the table. So that's another one that uh, hopefully someday in the future we'll be able to to get back to the table and and play another game of it. I think we even have an expansion or so that we haven't actually played with of our in our own collection. So we do have a couple expansions for this one that we need to play with, but. It, you can play two players, but it's much better, you know, with the three and more just to keep that interaction going. So, yeah, I think the maps, one. I think the maps just a touch big for when you when you end up with two players. It almost needs like a, hey, come out with an expansion for size that shrinks the map for a little bit more uh, interactive two player experience. Right, but the, this is definitely nice with the larger groups that. You can interact with different people on it. You've got a lot of the components of the good of the games that you enjoy playing on a game day that maybe have that only play you know four players, but you can do it in a six player group. So you can have everyone together playing, interacting. Yeah, you have some downtime, but you can use that time to chat. So Ben, what yep. is your third number three on your list? So my number three on my list is a game that I've played and number of times over the years and that is Battlestar Galactica the board game from Fantasy Flight Games. This game is unfortunately no longer in print uh, they have released just released uh, I think it just released here in 22 maybe it was 2021 a maybe 2.0 version of the game set in the Arkham Cthulhu Mythos universe that they have I can't remember the name of the game I should have wrote it down uh, but uh, we own it, uh, but I have not actually opened it up or punched it or taken a look at it. Uh, so I don't have a good opinion of that game, but I do uh, have an amazing opinion of the Battlestar Galactica game. Uh, so it plays very similarly to the film, uh, to the TV series, the probably the, not the, yeah, the most recent TV series that was on um, uh, the sci-fi network. And during the game, uh, you will have a series of, of times that you will need to jump the Galactica ship and the, and the fleet of civilian ships that are around it, trying to find a new uh, home for humanity uh, away from the Cylon threat. Uh, unfortunately, though, um, there is the potential at some point during the game, well, I shouldn't say the potential, there will be one or more Cylon players that are hidden roles within the group. So there's lots of accusations of toasters and uh, play, uh, people being toasters and whatnot. So there's a little social deduction, but there's this huge board game where there will be Cylon ships attacking Galactica, potentially um, Cylon uh, robots that'll board Galactica, just, you know, attacking, you have to like position and defend, make decisions on positioning and defending the, the, the civilian fleet that's outside of Galactica, and at the same time trying to advance Galactica while dealing with various threats that come up. So it's a, 
a very cool game and very especially if you're a fan of the tv show it's it's such a good game to kind of just dive into that theme and um just start uh with the accusations right off the bat one of my one of my favorite games and i and i love that kind of you kind of just get in into that immersive role play kind of experience as well as you're playing the actual board game with uh, with it, what's what is an actual really good board game on top of it game number two all right, number two. Number two for me, I'm just going to give the name of it. We'll talk about it more a little bit later, but it is Mysterium. One game that we'll talk about more in just a minute. So let's hear about Ben's number two. My number two is Dominant Species from GMT Games. So Dominant Species is a, I think, plays up to six players where you take on the role of a one of the various types of flesh and blood critters whether it's uh insects or reptiles or amphibians these are all land-based critters all the way up to mammals so there's these these six different types of general types of creatures that you can be and you will go through a planning phase where you will take it in turn selecting different different potential actions that you will want to take uh, during the resolution portion of the portion of the turn. And those actions will be to, you know, gain control, add more of your species on the board, potentially glaciate the board, uh, which is very a destructive thing and, and will almost, almost always get somebody to groan uh, at the table. You will, do things that will uh, claim additional cards, which will give you bonus bonus abilities that are potentially break or, or modify the rules slightly. Not necessarily things that will, you will keep long-term. They're one-time effects, typically. Then, ultimately, you will choose... You'll be able to choose areas of the board where you are dominant uh, as scoring, uh, to score and score points that way. So there's lots of different ways to score. It's a little bit of a point salad, uh, I think, uh, as far as game, but it's it's a very competitive. It has a a lot of heavy player interaction, but it's a uh, uh, just a great game where there's the board control and action selection and worker placement and uh, so many different mechanics all coming together into this one game. And that's Dominant Species from GMT Games. And I'll say I really enjoy this game also, and it's one like similar to Scythe that plays better at a little bit higher player count. Because you want that player interaction, you want to destroy other people's species, you want to have yours grow. It's a very interactive, paying attention, not too much downtime game on here. Yeah, so. yeah definitely. There's l- almost always something going on during that game, which is, I think, one of the things when you're talking about games that take larger player counts is, is to have games where everybody is kind of doing something most of the time and there's hopefully minimal downtime scythe is one of those weird games that i think falls in that exception area but uh dominant species is definitely a game where there's typically not tons of downtime just the way it's designed of course if you are looking for a smaller player count there is a dominant species marine which plays up to four obviously can't make this list but it's worth mentioning here if you're looking for something with a smaller player group that game we played at two and plays perfectly well so Yes, that's what it does. Game number one. 
All right, number one, my top number one. I would love to hear if anyone else, this is their favorite group or game to play with a larger group. Uh, it's Steampunk Rally by Roxley is the publisher of it. It can play up to eight players. You are almost all doing something simultaneously. And this, this game, for those of you who have not had the pleasure of experiencing yet, it's a steampunk-themed game where you are an inventor and you are trying to build a contraption to get you through this racetrack in the Swiss Alps. And while you are creating this, you are using dice to power it up. So you are drafting and placing dice and then you're also drafting different cards to create this invention that is going to fly, drive, swim, whatever it does through the Alps. And as you are going through it, things will happen and parts of your contraption will explode and then you'll lose different uh, pieces and then you'll gain them back and you're never completely out of it. Uh, the player interaction is somewhat minimal. So it's a little different than the other ones, but you would just get a create this fanciful machine, see what other people are doing, laugh, have a good time. Uh, it's a game that my daughter and I picked up years ago and have enjoyed playing and she still enjoys playing it. So I'm not sure that how much Ben likes, you know, is a fan of it. You've only played it a couple times, I think. Uh, but for me, it's a great game to have with a group of people. Yes, uh, Steampunk Rally is a lot of fun, and there's uh, Steampunk Rally now Fusion, uh, which is a successor game to it, uh, which is a standalone, but also can be combined with the original Steampunk Rally game. Uh, I don't think mechanically Fusion really added anything too dramatic to the game. No, it's basically an update of the Steampunk Rally. But uh, the game is actually a bit of fun, and it's uh, sometimes a bit of silliness to, you know, as you're. Uh, particularly when you're playing with a probably a larger group and seeing somebody's contraption that they've kind of you know tacked on parts to start to fall apart or have something untimely or awful happen, it's I think that's a great opportunity for some laughs at the table instead of for everyone to to enjoy that. But yeah, managing to get that managing to get that contraption that you've kind of struggled and pieces maybe falling off of and. You're maybe not quite fully getting it to do everything you wanted it to do, and then finally get it across the finish line uh, ahead of everybody else. It's a that's a fun time and a, a great experience. And a you know these race games. There's a number of race games out there that uh, are actually pretty good and play larger player counts. Uh, I think Steampunk Rally is one of my favorites in that genre. So good mention here, and great that made the list. But now for my uh, number one, uh, it is Mysterium. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, that it was on your list, Suzanne. Mysterium from Libelud is one of my favorite group games. It's one of the games that is kind of a staple for me to always run at uh, GameWorldCon every year. Everybody has a great time, like last year's GameWorldCon experience. Uh, I think everybody at the table had never played Mysterium, and so I had to do a, like a pretty elaborate teach uh, to it, and, and we got one play in in the two-hour session. But uh, everybody at the end, I think they were there was probably people in that group that were going out and going to go try to find to buy it because it was uh, it's it's always such a hit game. So in Mysterium, you have one person that takes on the role of the ghost, and you're providing visions to these 
other players who were playing as psychics who were trying to determine who murdered you where with what uh, particular weapon. So it's a interesting take on kind of that clue franchise uh, or you know the clue game of trying to figure out the who, where, and and with what. But uh, uh, during the game, you're going to, as the ghost, is you're going to give each player a these just wild artwork. Like they're just crazy artwork cards that, and you're you're not able to talk to the players. You're just giving them these clues, and they of these these random artwork, and that and that has to in in a sequence of person first, then location, and then weapon. They will progress and get clues to each one of those as they go. And so when you hand a player, like when you hand one of the psychics a, a card or two, because you can give them up to seven cards, then you hear like this groaning and everybody at the table that's not the ghost is just honed in on trying to collaborate and be like, oh, I think it's that one or this one. And then you hand the next player some cards and they're like, oh, no, I think my card's related to that or whatever. Uh, so it's this, the, 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 all of the players and he plays up to seven players, the, the six player, the up to six psychic players are constantly interacting. The second you hand them that first, that first card, they're all interacting, trying to figure out, you know, and make the best decisions. Cause it ultimately is a cooperative game where you, including the ghost win, if you can ultimately solve for who is the murderer location and weapon. That actually killed the ghost. Yeah. Also, this this game is maybe not classified as a party game, but for me, this is a party game because of all that collaboration, all that excitement, and the energy. Like this is not a low energy game. If you're going to sit there and not participate and not speak up, then you're basically not playing the game. It's just so much fun, and you have these wacky pictures. You need to try and channel this ghost that is your, you know, teammate that's not talking to you to understand what they are picking out of the picture. Uh, One thing I find with Ben is that as we've spent more time together, just... I have to think like him or he has to think like me for us to be successful in this game. And you really get to know your ghost and their thought process a lot. Uh, So it's definitely a game. If you can find it, pick it up. Like several of uh, the other games we've mentioned, there is, it does not play at two players well at all. I don't even know if this one can play at two players. There is a version of Mysterium, Mysterium Park, which does really well at two players. So if you're listening to this, like I hope you are, and you're like, gosh, dang it, I don't really have a group of six that I play with, but I play with two to four, like Dominant Species, you pick up Dominant Species Marine. With Mysterium, you pick up Mysterium Park, the same wonderful play experience, so... Yeah, Mysterium Park's just a lighter version of Mysterium. I honestly think Mysterium Park plays better at smaller player counts. It can play, I think, up to six. But I I definitely have played it at full player count. Um, I definitely prefer Mysterium Park at those smaller player counts because there's there's more 
there there then becomes more options uh, for you as the psychics to have to try to piece through with without having process of elimination kind of doing it for you. But Mysterium is yeah, I I love it. It's a great con- it's a great convention game. It, like that was the other thing with with the last run at GameOlcon that I ran it it ran and played and everyone at the table i don't think anyone at the table actually knew each other and so you had like six strangers that were all the psychics all trying to uh start to communicate with each other and having to all of a sudden you had this great experience where all six of these people were just like hovered over the table looking you know really intensely talking to each other and being and and sharing ideas and and being very cooperative. So I, I love this game because it's it always brings this really unique, high-energy, icebreaker experience. It, yeah, it's a borderline port party game, but there's a lot of board game components and board game to this uh, that I feel like it, it definitely makes the list. So one thing that I have noticed with these games that we are talking about, look, we like in these larger player accounts is to make sure there is player interaction. Uh, There's player interaction and there is very minimal downtime. So there are other games out there that can play larger groups, but we don't have them on our list because you do end up sitting there and staring at your phone or staring at each other or timing the other person's turn because you are waiting for, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get back around the table to you. So I think when you're looking for, my takeaway, when you are looking for games that play the the six-plus players all in one game setting, make sure there is some interaction among the players and there is little downtime, whether it's simultaneous play or just you need to be paying attention to adjust your gameplay to what the other players are doing. So I don't know about you, Ben, what your general thoughts are with uh, six-player, six-plus-player games. I think the key here with with games like these are a limited downtime. Like, I, I really enjoy... There's a game, I think, that's uh, Caverna. Uh, that is a very popular game, and I enjoy other other games from that uh, designer a little bit more than I enjoy Caverna. I think Caverna is a little bloated as far as components and options and things like it's just too much in my opinion, but I do enjoy the game. It's another one of those ones that plays large player counts, but yeah, when you play large player counts, you have a huge downtime window, particularly if you have a couple of players that have a, even a little bit of analysis paralysis on their turns by the time it gets around all the way around the table so that you can actually do your worker placement piece of it. But another great game that was an honorable mention for me here that actually we own, um, it's in the collection, but it I don't think we've ever played our copy of it, and that is um viva java the coffee game and it's another it's another great game where it's the game rules are not horribly complex and it's easy to teach it's one i think another big thing that's really nice for these larger group board games but it does a really good thing because it has like some individual stuff that you're doing but then you kind of because of the individual choices you do in like the first phase of the first portion of the game then the second portion of the game you're kind of grouped it kind of groups you up into teams 
And so now you're in your, and that will shift every every round of the game round of the game that shifts. So you might make, oh hey, I need to go here because I need maybe a black coffee bean versus a white coffee bean or a gray coffee bean or whatever. So you go there as your personal decision. Well, then the other people that went to that those regions of the the regions of the world to get their different colored coffee beans, they're now in a group with you. So now you that your group is now making trying to make a decision on which coffee to brew based on, or which coffee to manufacture and take to market based on the beans that you all have together. So it's a a really interesting kind of mechanic that kind of takes that. Here you have some initial worker placement that you're very solo, but then you group up and you play that as kind of a team game allows again that high energy very little downtime plays fairly quickly this is a game that you can get in it on game night so i definitely wanted to mention viva java here it didn't quite make my cut of the list and the biggest reason is because it's struggled to get back to the game table since we since we acquired it you know what i'm hearing here Conzi, is that this is going to be one of our may game night games because we'll see <laughs> you know i do not like having games in our collection that we have not played and i've not played this one and now that you haven't it's gonna need to get unwrapped and punched and played so i think we actually picked up our copy used from noble knight so it might already be punched but there's a small collection of games that we also have that are starting to uh, show up kickstarters and whatnot that we've backed last year that are starting to show up that uh may uh get us a little excited precedence but yeah this would be a time this would be a game definitely on a on a night where we just want to get everybody to the same table easily we can knock out a game of this without feeling like everybody has to immediately rush off and uh after the game because that even at eight play i think it plays up to eight oh, yeah i think it plays up to eight yeah, you can get a, a game of this pretty easily in like a two-hour mark, I think, because because of the way everybody teams up and and whatnot. And then the worker placement piece of it is relatively light, so it's a suit. It's a, a light but actually complicated game at the same time as far as strategy and being, trying to end up being the winner because you ultimately have an individual winner. All right, that is games that we think are great for uh, larger groups. Of course, uh, if there was a game that you thought uh, should have been on our list but didn't make our cuts, feel free to let us know. We'd love to hear what you, uh, you what games you think are awesome at these larger player counts. We also then had an amazing interview with Sean from Surprisingly Fun Games. Make sure you head out to Kickstarter to back his current project, Tinspin. Uh, it should be when this episode releases, should be near the tail end of that actual project's run on Kickstarter. So uh, give it a check. Uh, make sure you check it out. Suzanne and I loved it when we had an opportunity to play it. Then uh, we talked about our hobby corner, which was a lot of hobby work on Knights Models Batman Miniature Game for Brian and I. And we talked about the games we've been playing, which included that Batman Miniatures game that Brian and I and, and Matt have been playing a lot lately. But we also talked about uh, the new version of Libertalia from Stonemaier Games. So, so, so many games in such a tiny little episode. We'd spend a, a whirlwind. So with that, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. 
If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Oh, darn it. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.